um, try to stay away from any statement that begins with at least. Oh, you know, if it, <laughs> yeah. if it, if it begins with at least, it's not going to be good. So just right. don't go there. This week, a new guest, Gary Rowe, joins the podcast to discuss how to help your spouse navigate grief. Stay tuned. The whole mission of Hitched is to help couples enjoy their marriage and live happily ever after. That's one of the reasons we have the Hitched Wine Club. We wanted to offer something that would be a reminder every month for couples to sit down, reconnect, and enjoy the company of one another. We have partnered with the fantastic Touring and Tasting who hand select the wines that will be delivered to your door each month. You can go to our website, hitchedmag.com, click on the Wine Club link, and check out the different club options available to you. Again, visit hitchedmag.com and click the Wine Club link. Cheers! Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, editor-in-chief of HitchedMag.com. I am very excited today because we have a new guest on. His name is Gary Rowe. He is a contributor to Hitched, and Gary is also an award-winning author, speaker, and grief specialist uh, for more than 30 years. Gary is the author of Comfort for Grieving Hearts, and you can find out more at his website, Gary Rowe, that's R-O-E dot com, Gary Rowe dot com. So first and foremost, welcome, Gary. Hi, Steve. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. I am so happy and excited to have you on. Um, unfortunately, we're going to talk about a, a somewhat mm. somber <laughs> topic today, <laughs> but I think it's one that's really important, and I th- I'm excited for you to uh, share your tips and advice with our listeners. Um, so the topic we're going to discuss is how to support your spouse through grief, um, Mm. since, you know, we all grieve differently. Mm -hmm. Uh, what is the first thing a spouse should do or consider when their partner has lost someone close? You know, Steve, I think the first thing is just to back up for a minute and ask what our expectations are of grief and the grief process is, you know, that sounds kind of lofty. But what I really mean by that is most people tend to view uh, grief as something to get over and to get back to normal as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the problem is grief just doesn't really work that way because um, life is all about relationships. And when we lose someone, it's kind of like our life is a web. If we can picture a web and all the strands moving in and out of each other, and there's some strands that are thinner, some strands that are more frail, some strands that are stronger, some strands that are really basic strands of the web that are thick and strong. Mm-hmm. And when we endure a heavy loss of someone who's very, very close to us, uh, it's like our web, our life web gets hit and one of those major thick strands gets severed. Mm. Now, if that happens with a normal web, you know, the whole web shakes, right? Right. The, The whole web reverberates. And not only that, it kind of loses its shape for a while until the author of the web, so to speak, gets uh-huh. in there and, and figures out what they're going to do with that. And so um, loss really changes the person's world, the person mm-hmm. who has lost someone. Their world is now different. Mm-hmm. And so to expect them to 
get over a person. Number one, I don't believe you can do that. I don't believe you get over a person. I believe you can get through the grief, but this really does take time. Loss really changes us. And so for a spouse, with another spouse who's grieving, the number one thing I think to remember is that we need to enter their grief with them and go through the process with them because they're going to change as a result of this grief. Mm. And if we don't grieve with them and grow with them, there is a chance that the grieving process will create distance between us when we can use it as a real opportunity to create closeness, greater intimacy, and greater depth of relationship. Um, so with the uh, grieving with them, what does that mean specifically? I think the biggest thing is just awareness. It, it's awareness that they've endured a loss, awareness that they're not going to be themselves for a while, awareness that they might come out on the other end of this grieving process a little bit different, and being present and ready and available to them. Uh, you know, so often with grief, we're, we're so... I guess, uncomfortable with emotional distress and pain and sadness and things like that, uh, we either want to ignore it or we want to fix it. Mm. And neither one of those is a good option in a marriage right? right. <laughs> uh, or, or, in a, or in a partnership. Um, and so to be able to kind of enter their world, to be quiet, to listen uh, if I could dovetail off for a minute, sure. Um, you know, I, I work as a hospice chaplain and grief counselor, and in a, in my hospice cha- chaplain work, I train hospice volunteers in how to sit with families who are grieving, and I tell them to remember the three S's. Uh, first of all, show up. Just show up. Be available. Secondly, shut up. <laughs> just <laughs> you, you know, just be quiet. Words are terrifically overrated. at a time of grief. You know, it's hard for us because we mean well and we want to do something. We want to say the right thing. We're so scared of saying the wrong thing. We do nothing or we end up blurting out some platitude that only makes people angry, you know. So uh, we show up, we shut up, and then we serve them. Mm. We serve them. You know, what do they typically like? How How does your spouse typically feel loved by you? Whatever that is, you know, if it's washing the dishes, if it's making a meal, if it's going to a movie, if it's if it's driving some, whatever it is, do that. Enter their world and just be with them there and be available right. without as much as possible without an agenda, even though that's very hard when someone's hurting. Yeah. Well, it's tough because, as you mentioned, a lot of people like to try to fix things. Um, and yes. That, and that can be really hard, particularly when it's a loved one uh, where you you don't want, like seeing them this way. You want to help mm-hmm. them get over it. And um, we'll talk about the process in a minute here, but it, it takes time. It's nothing that you're going to be able to just snap your fingers and resolve. Yes. And um, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you brought up shutting up because it seems like such a simple thing to do. We are terrible with silence as a species. Like we just really struggle with it sometimes. So that's great to great that you brought that up. Um, okay, so we all do grieve differently. Can you describe the different ways that we all grieve? Yeah, well, I'll attempt. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, you're you're really right. We're all we're all unique individuals. You know, there has never been anyone like you or me 
exactly like us in the entire history of the human race, even if we have an identical twin. We, we are, our heart's unique, emotions are unique, and so each person is unique, each relationship is unique, therefore each loss is unique, and each grief process is unique, even though people experience a lot of the same things in the grief process. And I think what surprises people, Steve, is that they expect grief to hit them emotionally, but it really hits us in every way. Mm. It hits us emotionally, you know, sadness, anger, frustration, confusion, anxiety, guilt, depression, but it also hits us mentally. We're just not as sharp mentally. You know, we have a bit, a little bit of a mental fog when we're in grief. Maybe we're confused some of the time. We forget things. Uh, and then, you know, physical symptoms that come with heavy grief like you know headaches and palpitations and stomach distress and joints and uh, joint pains and aches and headaches that weren't there before that are just a part of being under stress uh, stress our immune systems so we're more likely to get sick and then grief hits us spiritually too uh, we ask questions perhaps that we don't ask at any other time. And maybe, you know, if what we believe personally is not big enough to help us process the loss we're going through, we can often wind up with what I call a crisis of faith mm. of wondering, you know, what do I believe really? How does life work? What is this all about? Mm -hmm. So, because we're all unique individuals and we all get hit emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually, oh my. The grieving process is really a free-for-all. And then you add to that the differences between men and women. And again, you know, I, when, when I speak of this, please understand, I know you know this, I'm speaking generally. There are tons yeah. of exceptions right. to this. But typically, uh, women are what I call relational grievers. They tend to seek out relationships. They might want to be alone sometimes, but they like to talk. They like to process. They like to journal, um, things of that nature. We guys tend to be private, solitary grievers or what I would call project grievers. You know, we go out and make something mm. or we go out and tear something up mm -hmm. or or we start a new exercise program that's a little harder than, than before. And so in a relationship and a partnership and marriage, boy, that can get really challenging because often men end up being um, stuffers of their emotions. And the ladies really have a hard time with that because they're the opposite. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this is, I can't tell you how many emails I receive from wives telling me that their husbands need to grieve better. <laughs> and 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 what can I do to help them grieve better? And uh -huh. bless bless our ladies for being concerned about us. And uh, in the same way, the guys will often look at the ladies and say, oh my gosh, do we have to be so emotional about this? Can't we just get back to normal life? Can't, can't we get over this? How can I fix this for you? What kind of tool can I use <laughs> mm -hmm. to, to, to make this better? It, you know, um, it's, I was just going to interrupt if you don't mind. You bet. Um, you, you absolutely nailed me uh, with that description because... Um, I've, I've dealt with, uh, death pretty much throughout m most of my life, um, at various mm -hmm. times and the way that I have dealt with it and I naturally gravitated toward it. Um, mm -hmm. and I have found that it has been a great tool for myself is I like to run. And, mm -hmm. um, as soon as I find out about it, almost one of the very first things that I do 
is I strap on my running shoes and I go and I run and it allows me to mm-hmm. um, go through mm-hmm. that meditation process for myself and really work through things in, in an isolated fashion, as you just described. So it's, yes, it's, it's amazing how, <laughs> how well you peg that. <laughs> well, I'm in that boat too, Steve. I mean, I, I experienced heavy, heavy losses um, in my childhood and then before I was 15. And if I had not been a competitive swimmer from age six on all the way through college, mm-hmm. I don't know what might have happened to me. But right. that it gave me an opportunity to think about things. And we process things when we're exercising, dreaming, um, those kinds of ways that, you know, we're not aware of. And right. it really does make a difference. Yeah. Um, bef- uh, was there any other ways that you wanted to uh, mention before I move on? Well, I-, I think it's not really a way that we grieve, but I think everybody needs to keep in mind that grief will not allow us to run from it. Okay. We can right. we we can attempt, but it is there because you can't run from something that's inside you, and you can attempt, you know, but it won't be successful. And so, if we don't find ways to, I guess, express our grief in healthy ways, mm-hmm. it'll eventually leak out, it, um, but probably in ways that we'll regret. Yeah, it's you know that's I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I have met several people in my life where I see a grief in them that mm. has been there for decades mm. you know mm-hmm. that i could see that they just have not processed that loss in in a healthy way as you're describing um mm-hmm. uh since we're on the grieving in a healthy manner um i mean you've already mentioned a couple of them uh what are some healthy ways for people to grieve Oh, gosh. Um, you know, one of the ways is, I mean, exercise is a wonderful way just not only to maintain health, but to grieve and to process things. Um, journaling, writing, talking out loud. Uh, this is going to sound kind of weird. I'm one of those people that if you pulled up next to me in a car on the highway, mm-hmm. I'm probably talking to myself <laughs> because I have developed this habit over time. I do a lot of driving, and so I've learned to turn the radio off because I always have something going on in hospice work and grief counseling, and I will just talk out loud um, about that, which is a wonderful way to process it. Talking out loud, writing, art, drawing, sculpting, um, making pottery, etc., and and exercising. What what that really does for us is it slows down those ping ponging thoughts Mm -hmm. and emotions enough to where our mind can actually catch up with our heart for a little while and and we can actually begin to process things instead of just being caught in this what I call the cycle of overwhelm Mm -hmm. that that grief can often that grief can often bring yeah Uh, um, another huge huge way to grieve in in a healthy way is with regard to your relationships we all know some people will be helpful and some won't. Uh-huh. So figuring out who's helpful to you, who's not, limiting your exposure to those who are not helpful to you, and getting around people who inspire you, encourage you. You know, when you're with them, you just feel loved, accepted, peaceful, comforted. Um, that That's a big deal 
beginning to set those boundaries. And and then people will raise their hands in seminars and say, well, wh- what if that person that's not helpful uh, happens to be in my own family right. or or happens to be my boss or the coworker that sits next to me? And, you know, in those cases, the only thing that I, I can think of is uh, even though you can't limit your exposure to them, you can find ways to guard your own heart. Mm. Um you know, we share our hearts, hopefully, with people that we have found to be trustworthy. And when we found a person, and some people are trustworthy with some things, but not other things. But with a grieving heart, ah, we're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we are really vulnerable. And uh, we need to make pretty, we need to make sure as we can that the other person is a trustworthy individual that will take our heart seriously. Yeah. Now, we're probably going to get disappointed a, a few times, and that's okay. Forgive and release quickly and find somebody who's trustworthy. Right, right. So set up some boundaries. Um, What should people avoid um, since we're talking about helping a spouse deal with grief? Mm, I think um, if your spouse has lost someone that's that's very, very important to him or her, of course, we've already mentioned this, uh, try to avoid attempts to fix them or Mm -hmm. fix the situation. Just keep telling yourself, this is not fixable. This, this is not fixable. Um, the person has died or the person has left or whatever the case might be. And try as much as possible to not give advice that they haven't asked for. Don't make it about yourself. Well, I remember when my Auntie Lovey died, mm. you know, uh-huh. or because here's what happens. Um, our spouse's grief or our partner's grief will trigger our own losses and our own grief. And in our attempt to want want to do something and want to say something, like you said, we have a real problem with silence, Uh, we will come out and not even knowing it, we will make it about ourselves and about our losses. And I haven't met many, many, many grievers who appreciate that (laughs) when when we do that. Um, Another thing is, and and this may all be semantics, but um, don't try to help your spouse feel better. You can't. That's impossible. Um, You can love them. Mm Mm-hmm. Just, just figure out a way, and, and instead of asking yourself the question, gosh, what's the right thing to say? What's the right thing to do here? Ask yourself, what's the most loving thing that I can think of to do right now? Mm. Because the right thing, frankly, I don't know what that is, but um, the mo- a loving thing, well, I can come up with, with one of those. Right. Um, I, yeah, I was just going to say, ironically, um, loving them likely will make them feel better. Um, yes. And at minimum, make them feel secure, knowing that they can lean on you when they need to cry or whatever it may be. You know, you have just, Steve, I'm going to grab on that there because security. Um, people do not heal, I don't believe, without some sense of safety. Mm-hmm. And, and so if we as spouses can create an environment where it is safe, for our spouse to grieve, to emote, to cry, to be angry, uh, to have anxiety and panic attacks even, as scary as that is, because, uh, gosh, you know, all of that happens in the typical grief process when we've lost someone close. Mm-hmm. If, we, if we can create an environment of safety, we have, we have done our spouses a huge, we've given them a huge gift mm-hmm. if we can do that. Um, is there anything that through all your experience that a spouse uh, shouldn't do or say that we haven't mentioned yet? 
on the should not say angle of things, um, try to stay away from any statement that begins with at least. Oh, you know, if it, <laughs> yeah. if it, if it begins with at least, it's not going to be good. So just right. don't go there. You know, some examples, at least they're in a better place. At least they're not suffering anymore. At least you had them as long as you did. Uh-huh. Um, at least you had a good relationship. At least, at least, at least. Um, even though, uh, you know, I had a friend that says what, what comes out of our mouths always should always be true. But not everything that's true should necessarily come out of our mouths at that right. time. Right. And even though all of those statements might be true, uh, it end up it ends up belittling our partner's heart and their grief and their emotions. So stay away from anything that begins with at least, and also stay away from the statement "I know how you feel," mm-hmm. um, because we don't. We are not them as close as we are. Uh, They have unique hearts. It was a unique relationship. It's a unique loss. And even if we have experienced a similar loss, we can empathize, but we don't know how they feel. And you don't want to redirect their pain and emotion and loss to your previous pain, emotion, and loss. That's yes. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It's it's you've said it before. It is so hard to watch our spouse suffer. Mm-hmm. It is hard to watch them go through grief, but the only way out of grief is through it. Mm-hmm. There is there's no going over it. There is no going around it. There is no bypassing it. And so if you'll allow them to go through it and you just stay with them as they go through it in the sense of showing up, shutting up, <laughs> right. serve, serving them, being available, uh, your presence is the most powerful gift you can probably give your spouse while they're grieving. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you said that too, because I think a lot of times people want to do so much, and to to the point mm. you just made, um, being there is is your role. Um, being yes. available is your role, and you know, being of service to them is your role. So, um, is is there any other thing that you can think of in a way that you can help your grieving spouse? Um. One of the things that really helps people who grieve, and it's not like you can set this up, but um, uh, one of the things that really seems to help is being with other people who know grief. Mm. Um, So, uh, you know, some people are scared to death of support groups. I'm a big advocate of support groups, um, simply because when people who are grieving and, and all of them have fairly recent losses. When they get together, all of a sudden, it's like this cloud lifts a little bit because they know everybody in the room gets it. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets it. And anybody can say almost anything and nobody's going to blink because they're kind of all on the same page. One of the hardest things for a grieving heart is feeling like their world has stopped. And the rest of the world is just blazing right on. So they are stuck in this sort of surreal alternate universe um, where um, their loved one seems to matter very little to none to this world that just keeps on going. And here they are and their heart is broken. Mm -hmm. So if they can be with other people who are grieving in some shape, form or fashion, that's a real plus. Uh, so support groups, where are they? You know, they're in churches, they're in grief centers, they're with hospices. Um, I almost 
of them are run by a professional counselor. Almost all of them are free. And, um, you know, they, they kind of are willing to accept uh, new people all the time. You know, it's not one of those things where uh, I'm sitting here thinking, would it be wise to encourage a spouse to do that? I don't know. Um, it depends on your relationship. One of the important things is just be yourself and love your spouse in a way that's consistent with your relationship. So if it's consistent with your relationship for you mm-hmm. to say, hey, let's, or better yet, take a real risk, let's go to the group together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, because that, that can... Not only does that tell them, wow, you really do love me, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it makes it it makes it easier for them to slide into that environment. Yeah. Again, you are providing the security for them that, you know, you're you're there. Um, That's a big deal. Well, before we wrap up, I did want to want to ask, is there a healthy timeline and I know everybody's different but mm-hmm. is there a, is there a timeline that's considered like a healthy time period for grief to take place and once it goes beyond that then it's like mm, we have some unresolved issues we need to actually tackle head on that's a good point um, I think more than a timeline Steve it's about behavior um, when when someone gets outside the realm of healthy grieving, well, what does that look like? That means an immersion into an addiction, for example, mm-hmm. uh, um, of, of some kind. It means uh, an immersion into depression and not getting out of bed and not going out. Um, it means isolating yourself. It means acting out with such anger that it's endangering themselves and other people. Um, It means having suicidal ideation and suicidal thoughts. When those kinds of things occur, that's a signal that, you know what, we we need some outside voices in this Mm -hmm. um, to help us. Um, And and we need to go outside of ourselves for some some grief support here. Um, The, in terms of a timeline, however, Gosh, every loss is different. Mm-hmm. For, for, for example, uh, you know, the loss of a mother for one person uh, can be totally different from the loss of a, a mother for a person that they were their best friend all the way through life, and they cared for them with Alzheimer's disease, and they've been their caregiver for 14 years. Right. You, you know, very different, even though the loss is the same. Yeah. And so, uh, loss of a spouse is different from the loss of a parent. Loss of a parent is different from the loss of a child. Loss of a child is different from the loss of a best friend. Uh, you know, we could go on and on. Sure. And so, to construct a timeline with that is very difficult. You would have to go to each loss, and then you would have to go to that particular person who's grieving, and what is their history of loss up to now? Uh-huh. In other words, do they have a history of a, uh, you know sexual abuse, physical abuse in their background, multiple losses? Are they already vulnerable even before the loss, or are they steady? before the loss. All of those things come into play in terms of a timeline. Right. So so rather than timeline, I would tell people, you know, uh, just be on the lookout for the warning signs that the grieving process has kind of gone off the rails a little bit and is delving into some self-medicating, self-destructive behaviors that aren't going to be good for our spouse or our marriage or our family. Got it. Great. Um, it, it's interesting because, you know, as 
as hard it is to talk about some of these like really difficult topics mm-hmm. um, and the emotions too. And we sometimes forget that we think of certain things as good emotions and bad emotions, but they're yes. not. They're just emotions. They're just emotions. And I think, you know, like anxiety, for example, anxiety is not necessarily a bad thing. There's a reason that we have anxiety and it was mm-hmm. a survival mechanism. And there's a reason we have grief and there's a reason that we have joy. And yes. I feel like, um, we love to talk about the good stuff. <laughs> like, how can we have a better marriage? How can we have a better sex life? And it's really hard to talk about the sad stuff and the, and the troubling things and the downs. Um, but those, yes. but that's the, those are the places where people need some of the most insight and help and guidance. And so I'm, I'm really appreciative of the work that you do and for your advice and uh, for you coming on and, and sharing it with our listeners. So thank you so much, Gary. Oh, you're very, very welcome, Steve. It's it's been my honor and my privilege. Um, well, with that, we will wrap this episode up. But before we go, I want to remind everyone that you have been listening to Gary Rowe, who is an award-winning author, speaker, and grief specialist uh, for more than 30 years. Gary is the author of Comfort for Grieving Hearts, and you can find out more at his website, GaryRowe.com. Of course, you can find information at our website, HitchedMag.com, where we have have a couple of Gary's columns up, so go ahead and search for those once you get there. Um, of course, you can get our newsletter, which is free. I highly recommend it. Um, and uh, each of these episodes, uh, when they come out, we include them in our newsletter, so you will never miss an episode. So with that, um, one last time, I want to thank you so much, Gary. It is always a pleasure to um, work with new, exciting people, and so thank you so much for coming on and sharing your uh, advice. Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Great. Thank you so much. And with that, it's going to do it for us. So take care, everybody. We're on top of the world.